good summer so far. I am so excited for the person that's here today that's gonna continue this summer at Crossroads series we've been in for the past few weeks. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about him. Bob Russell was the lead pastor of my home church growing up over in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, Southeast Christian Church. Bob first came on staff at Southeast back in 1966 and retired in 2006. Now, when Bob first got there, he and his wife, Judy, they were running about 120 people at the time in the basement of a church. And when he retired in 2006, uh, Southeast was running well over 18,000 people on a given weekend. And so you have a little bit more of an idea of how God has used Bob over the years to impact impact the kingdom and to introduce more and more people uh, to Jesus. He, he's had a profound influence upon our church here. He's been a mentor to me, a friend to us. Uh, he's been here once before uh, and we, we, we decided to have him back because he, he was so good the first time. And so would you please join me in welcoming back to Crossroads, Bob Russell. Well, thank you. It is uh, nice to be invited to such a good church, and it's nice to be invited back. And when you're my age, 73, it's good to be invited anywhere. Uh, I've noticed two things, though, as I get older. First, you, old age is always 10 years older than whatever you are. And secondly, the people your age always look a whole lot, lot older than you think you look. I heard about a woman who went back to her high school reunion for the first time in many years. She walked into the room, couldn't get over how old everybody looked. She said, this can't be my class. Everybody looks so old. And she bent down to one guy who looked particularly old. She said, what year did you graduate? He said, 1958. She said, well, this is my class then. He said, really, would you teach? <laughs> I can identify with that. Even though I'm older, I hope you'll listen to me today because I want to talk with you about what makes life meaningful. A lot has been written in recent years about the need for a sense of purpose every day. Rick Warren wrote that best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, and it sold 20 million copies. I read a book recently called Inner Excellence by Jim Murray. And the whole theme of the book was living for a cause greater than yourself. Bob Buford wrote a best-selling book called Halftime, in which he talked to people reaching retirement age and urged them to change their focus from focusing on success to focusing on significance. Because so many times when people quit their occupation, they lose their sense of purpose and they shrivel up and die. 150 years ago, well-known German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said, if a man has a why to live, he can endure any how. Now, Nietzsche was not a Christian, but in that little phrase, he summed up the importance of a daily purpose. If you have hope for tomorrow, you can go through all kinds of challenges and difficulties today without losing heart. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. The entire book of Ecclesiastes is a treatise on the meaning of life. It's written by King Solomon who was determined to find out what gave life a sense of purpose. He accumulated incredible wealth, he indulged in worldly pleasures, he got involved in elaborate projects, and he concluded that they were all dead ends. 
35 times in the book, he uses the word meaningless. The life is, life is meaningless. In the second verse of chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He said, you live, you die, you leave it all behind. It's all futile. You know who would seem to agree with Solomon today? Brad Pitt, the actor. I like Brad Pitt. I think he's a good-looking guy, a good actor. But he was quoted in Rolling Stone magazine not long ago as saying, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us, the car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, I say, toss all this. We've got to find something else. I don't have the answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain, and I'm the guy who's got everything. I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you, that's not it. Sounds like Solomon. You know who else sounds like that a little bit? Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots. got four Super Bowl rings now. And he said, why do I have these Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. That's what Solomon's saying. You chase after these things of this world. When you get them, they don't satisfy. Well, the final two chapters of Ecclesiastes, chapters 11 and 12, is kind of a summation of what Solomon learned from his futile pursuits. I was thinking about entitling this sermon, Valuable Lessons from a Life Poorly Lived. Because Solomon's not a role model of a meaningful life. But sometimes people learn their best lessons from their worst mistakes. And the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of a summation of Solomon's valuable experience and his vast wisdom. Wise people learn from their mistakes. Wiser people learn from the mistakes of others. So what I want to do today is to read through Ecclesiastes 11 and 12 and learn four lessons from Solomon about what makes life meaningful. Four principles that give us a why for living every day. Here's the first one. For life to be meaningful, we need to shift gears and change our emphasis from accumulating wealth to sharing wealth. Verse 1 of chapter 11 says, Cast your bread upon the waters. And after many days, you'll find it again. What's that mean, cast your bread upon the water? Warren Wearsby says it is best paraphrased, send out your grain, your bread in ships. And after many days, the ships will return with a profit. Solomon was into world trade, so it's not surprising that he would use a merchant illustration. And he's saying here, send out your ships with valuable cargo, your bread, and when they return months later, the investment and patience will be rewarded. He says in verse 2, give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. We say don't put all your eggs in one basket. Solomon says don't put all your bread, don't put all your grain in one ship. There could be a shipwreck and you'll lose everything. So be a wise, diverse investor so that you can accumulate some wealth over a period of time. We have a guy in our church in Louisville who is in the animal extermination business. You get a possum or a skunk under your porch, you call him, he'll trap it and take it away. A friend of mine saw him releasing a raccoon into the wild out on the edge of the city limits. And my friend said to him, 
I thought you killed those varmints once you captured them. He said, oh no, this is a young raccoon. It could occupy three or four other porches in the course of a lifetime. <laughs> you don't want to jeopardize your future, he said. You know what that is? That's casting your bread upon the waters, making an investment. Now Solomon did this pretty well. He accumulated a lot of wealth. First Kings 4 says Solomon's daily provisions for his estate were five and a half tons of the finest flour, six, 11 tons of meal, 10 heads of stall-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, and 100 sheep and goats. That's his daily provisions. Commentators estimate that storehouse would feed 15,000 people a day. By comparison, the number of people who work in the White House and the executive office of the President of the United States is about 2,000. Solomon had, was feeding 15,000 people a day, evidently. Richest man of his day. Probably Bill Gates and Donald Trump couldn't match him today. The Queen of Sheba said the half has not been told about Solomon's wealth. But he came to the conclusion that accumulation in and of itself was meaningless. He said in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 8, I own more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver, gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces, but it was meaningless like chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun, he says. For life to really be meaningful, somewhere along the line, we shift gears from trying to accumulate wealth to be to the point where we get more joy in giving it away. Solomon hints at this in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 3. He says, if clouds are full of water, they can pour rain on the earth. If you've accumulated some water, you can let it rain. But if you haven't accumulated anything, you can't be a blessing to anybody. One greater than Solomon put it more clearly. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. If you give, it'll be given to you. Or listen to this little known verse from Jesus, Luke 16, 9. And it says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, folks, I want you to look at this verse. He doesn't say accumulate your wealth so when it's time to die, you, to die you've got a whole lot to will to people. He said you use worldly wealth and if you give it, it'll gain friends for yourself and when it's gone it'll be time for you to be welcomed into eternal dwelling. What people do today is just the opposite. They want to accumulate wealth so that they can be secure in retirement. We don't want to be a burden on anybody so we get in the habit of accumulating more and more and even when we have enough our self-worth is directly related to our net worth and we're in such a habit of accumulating, we keep accumulating until we die. And Jesus said, you use it while you're alive and then when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Actually, since I turned 70, my net worth is declining every year because I'm trying to give more and more away so that kind of the last check bounces. I say to my children, look, you're not going to inherit a whole lot when I die. I like the bumper sticker that reads, no child left a dime. But <laughs> I tell my kids, I'm going to give you, share with you what I have while you're alive, while you still 
are at the point of needing it. You see, what most people do is that they accumulate wealth and then they die at 85 or 90 and their kids are 60 years of age and they don't need it then. When do they need it? In their 40s when they got kids and going to college and they got all kinds of bills. I've got a son who's a preacher, son who's a policeman. They don't make much money. They've got children and they need the money now. So every year at Christmas, I write them out a generous check. The only gift I give at Christmas, white envelope, put it on the Christmas tree, and it's the grand finale of Christmas. And they open it up, and it's several thousand dollars, and my daughter's-in-law, uh, they ooh and on, they come over and give me a hug, thanks, Pop, and my sons come over and pat me on the back, thanks, Dad, you bailed me out, I really need it, thanks a lot, how's your health, you got a lot of speaking engagements next year, keep going, you know. <laughs> And you know what? They're not hoping I die so they get their hands on it. They want me to keep on living. I've made friends for myself. They're really friendly to me these days. Okay? <laughs> and you know who has the most fun at Christmas? Me. I enjoy Christmas. I look forward to Christmas more than some of you misers who are hoarding it up, not sharing it with anybody. And the kids need it now. The church needs it now. Those missionaries in Haiti need it now. Jesus said, you shift gears. And enjoy giving it away. And life becomes more meaningful. Now you may say, well, I don't have a very big nest egg. I guarantee you, most of you have valuables sitting on your shelf or in your drawers at home. Jewelry and guns and silver and china that nobody's looking at. Nobody's using. And you could share those things, be a blessing today. The, the water from your clouds could let it rain. And you could enjoy life more and be more meaningful because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's a second lesson from Solomon. To make life meaningful, stay active. Establish a mindset of working consistently all your life. He says in verse 4 of chapter 11, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. If a farmer sits around and has to have ideal weather conditions before he plants, too windy today, too clouds in the sky, may rain today, not going to work, never work. In verse 6 he says, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle, for you don't know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Sow your seed in the morning of your life when you're young, and at the evening part of your life when you're older, you keep sowing seed because you don't know which period of your life is going to be the most productive. Now, this is one thing Solomon evidently did pretty well. He seemed to stay active all of his life. You say, well, I guess so. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Well, there are some other things about. He says in chapter 2, verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards and I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. He could have retired and laid around the hammock all day long. But he had these huge projects that he was working on, and he wrote a lot of Proverbs about the value of hard work and the danger of idleness. For example, Proverbs 12, 11 reads, He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. There are a lot of people today who are chasing a fantasy of a wrong concept of retirement. They're dreaming that one day they're going to have enough wealth at age 55 or 60 to retire and have nothing to do. No pressure, no responsibility. And they're chasing a fantasy thinking that's going to make life meaningful. 
One guy asked an older guy what he was going to do in retirement. He said, well, I'll tell you what, the first year, I'm just going to sit on the front porch in a rocking chair. He said, then what are you going to do? He said, the second year, I'm going to start rocking. <laughs> well, if that's your concept of retirement, that is a fantasy. You're not going to find life meaningful because there's a direct correlation between your self-worth and your sense of productivity. If you want life to be meaningful, make up your mind that whatever stage you're in, you're going to be active and productive. One greater than Solomon said, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Because night is coming when no man can work. You're going to die and you won't be able to work. But as long as you're alive, you're to work. You see, you are created in the image of God. And the more you're like God, the more fulfilled you're going to be. And God works. Jesus also said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working, John 5, 17. When you sit around day after day and you don't do anything productive, you feel like a giant slug and your self-worth goes down the tubes. I've got a friend in the church in Louisville. When he was 35 years of age, he sold his business for $8 million. He said to me, Bob, I don't have to work another day of my life. Three months later, he took another business and went back to work. He said, I don't need the, the, the money, but I need the job. Smart man. Don't quit before the finish line. Retirement is good if it's a change of pace. It's a release from stress. It can free you up to do other things. But retirement should not be regarded as a time of self-indulgence, but a time of service for Jesus Christ. I retired 11 years ago after 40 years of being a local pastor. And I like not having the pressure of overseeing a mega church. But I've been really active. I preach like 40 weekends a year. I've written two books. I write a blog every week. I do a mentoring retreat for preachers for three days once a month. And I have had the greatest decade of my life. I'm telling you, you got something to look forward to. It's the greatest period of life when the kids are grown and the bills are paid and the dog is dead. It's a wonderful period. <laughs> In Ecclesiastes 11, verse 5, Solomon says, As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. You don't know what God is going to do. Your most productive period, maybe after you're 60, after you're 70. Moses was 80 when God called him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Anna was 84 when she held the baby Jesus in her arms in the temple and identified him as the Messiah. Caleb was 85 when he said to Joshua, let me lead the battle into the hill country. And he did and he won. John Piper wrote an article about the contribution of older people. He said Winston Churchill became the prime minister of England when he was 65. At 70, Ben Franklin helped draft the Declaration of Independence. At 77, John Glenn became the oldest person to go into space. At 89, Albert Schweitzer ran a hospital in Africa. At 93, Strom Thurmond, the longest serving senator in US history, won re-election after promising not to run again at age 99. And Piper wrote, so all you boomers just breaking into Medicare, gird up your loins, pick up your cane, head for the gym, and get fit for the last lap. 
Fix your eyes on the face of Jesus at the finish line. There'll be plenty of time for rest and relaxation at the resurrection. As for now, there's happy work to be done. Amen? Amen. If life's going to be fulfilling, then you be active all your life. Okay, here's the third principle about purpose from Ecclesiastes. Be joyful. Live in the precious present. Verse 8, chapter 11. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. Now, Solomon is a realist. He says what is the truth, though sometimes it's not what we want to hear. However many years you may live, you have no guarantee that you're going to live to be 70 or 80. That may be the average life expectancy, but you could die at 50 or 40. However many years you live, enjoy every one of them. In your youth, don't say, I can't wait for the weekend. I can't wait for the summer. You're wasting life away. He goes on in the same verse to say, remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. As you get older, you're tempted to waste away a day because this is a dark day. My back hurts. My kids aren't living the way they ought to be living. My friends deserted me. Even though there's days of darkness, you better enjoy them all because uh, you're going to waste life away. So Solomon says, enjoy today. Verse 90 says, be happy, young man, while you're young, and your heart, let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. In other words, learn to enjoy the present. One greater than Solomon said to his disciples, I say these things to you so that my joy might be in you, and your joy might be complete. Minerth and Meyer wrote a book years ago with a great title. The title of the book was, Happiness is a choice. I really believe that. Even though this may be a day of darkness, or even though you've got something to look forward to in the future, you choose to enjoy today and soak it up, or you choose to be miserable regardless of the circumstances. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. I read a book a while back called uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul at Work by Jack Canfield. You know those chicken soup books. But in this book, he tells about a restaurant owner named Jerry who was absolutely the most joyous Christian he'd ever been around. Most positive guy. Said, you go into a restaurant and say, Jerry, how you doing? He'd always answer the same way. Doing great. Any better be twins. Doing wonderful. Any better be twins. So one day he took him aside and said, Jerry, you're probably the most joyous, positive Christian I've ever been around. What is the secret of your joy? He said, it's easy. I just choose to be joyful every day. No, he said, it's got to be deeper than that. What is it? No, he said, when I wake up in the morning, before I get out of bed, I say to myself, this is the day the Lord has made, and I can be grouchy and grumpy and waste it and drag everybody down, or I can rejoice and be glad, and I choose every day to be joyful. Well, one day, Jerry's restaurant got robbed, and the thief panicked at the end and shot, nearly killed Jerry. And Jerry said, there I was, lying in a pool of my own blood. I felt my life ebbing out for me. And I thought to myself, I can choose to live or I can choose to die. I choose to live. When the EMS workers came, I could tell by their comments they didn't think I was going to live. But I was still conscious when I got to the emergency room. But I could tell by the expression of the doctors and nurses' faces that they didn't think I was going to make it either. But he said this big burly nurse bent over me and she said, are you allergic to anything? And with a raspy voice, I said, yes. And when I said yes, everybody stopped to hear what it was. She said, what are you allergic to? And I said, bullets. <laughs> and 
And with that, he said, the whole ER room burst out laughing. And she said, is there anything else? And I said, yes, I choose to live, not to die. Please operate on me as though I'm going to live. He said the energy in the room picked up. And I think it was five, six weeks later, Canfield writes, there was Jerry back in his restaurant. I said, hey, Jerry, how you doing? He said, doing great. Any better be twins. I believe that. I believe you can walk out that door today and you can say, I'm not sure how I'm going to live, how long I'm going to live, however many days I'm going to live. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to make the most of this day. I'm going to say with Solomon, however many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. Here's one final lesson from Solomon about making life meaningful. Think eternally. Aging is inevitable, but the best is yet to be. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1 says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Talking to young people, he said, Look, you avoid this philosophy. I'm going to indulge in all the pleasures of the world and all the sinful things that I can do while I'm young. And then I'm older. I'll give my life to God and I'll still go to heaven. He said, no, don't you remember your creator in the days of your youth for two reasons. Number one, that's a selfish thing to do, to indulge in pleasure, sinful pleasure when you're young. What you're saying is, I'm going to give the best years of my health to me and the leftovers to God. But the second problem with that philosophy is it's dangerous. You can wound so many people, even in your youth. You can develop addictions. You can be scarred for life. You can die prematurely. I've got a 17-year-old grandson in Port Charlotte, Florida, texted me, texted us last night. One of his teammates on his football team drowned, 18 years of age. You have no guarantee. So remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come, and then Solomon goes on in chapter 12 to describe the physical trouble that comes when you age. Now, he uses picturesque language in this chapter, and we have to guess at what he means, but most of the time, it's pretty clear. He says, for example, in verse 3, the keepers of the house tremble. I take that to be the legs get shaky and you have to lean on a cane. The strong men stoop. The shoulders, once erect with a proud posture, are now bent over. The grinders cease because they are few. What do you think that is? This is a live audience, isn't it? You can talk. Okay. Your teeth fall out. And you can't chew peanut brittle the way you once did. Those looking through the windows grow dim. What's that? Your eyesight. You have cataracts. The doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. Your hearing goes. You can't hear the grinding of the mill wheel the way you once did. Hey, could you tell me again what you said I missed it? When men rise at the sound of a bird, you know when you're young, you go to bed, you sleep eight or nine hours, you wake up. When you get older, you wake up at the sound of a bird <laughs> or for other purposes in the middle of the night. <laughs> and all their songs grow faint. Used to be able to really sing strong solos. Now at 85, can't sing very well anymore. When men are afraid of heights and dangers in the street. I used to be able to climb a ladder, clean out my gutters, no problem. Now I climb a ladder and my hands are trembling like this. My son's like, Dad, get down from here. You don't belong up there. 
Dangers in the street. You ever see a 95-year-old guy drive a car? 15 miles an hour, everybody honking at him. Teenagers zooming in and out. 95-year-old guy, he's only got two weeks to live. He might as well zoom, zoom in and out and enjoy it. You know? <laughs> when the almond tree blossoms, hair turns white. The grasshopper drags himself along. You see this old guy shuffling in the mall, shuffling along. And people say, you should have seen that guy as a teenager in high school. He was quick as a grasshopper on the basketball court. Really? No, he's just dragging himself along now. And desire is no longer stirred. I have studied this and studied I cannot figure out what this means. <laughs> if you know what this means, come up and tell me afterward. I don't understand. I told that to an audience not long ago. 85-year-old woman came up afterward, tried to explain it to me. I know what it means. I know. <laughs> then the man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the street. The guy dies, and there's a long funeral procession in the streets. And at the cemetery, they say, oh, I don't know what we're going to do without him. He's my best friend. Life's never going to be the same. Then they go back to church and eat barbecue and potato chips and laugh and tell jokes like you never lived. That doesn't sound like you got much to look forward to. That doesn't sound like life is very meaningful. If this life is all there is, it's meaningless. Listen to me. That's why the people out there in that world who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ hate aging so bad. They try to deny it. They delay it. They get terrified they're 30 years old. Or they get 40, midlife crisis, and they run off with somebody in a chat room or something. And they try to delay it with tummy tucks and liposuctions and breast implants and facelifts. Listen, there's no hope. No meaning in this life if we're just roadkill, vaporized. But there's one thing that gives you hope and meaning every day. And that is, if there is life beyond the grave, if the best is yet to be. Solomon summarizes it like this. He says the silver cord's going to be severed. You're going to have spine problems. The golden bowl is going to be broken. Mind is going to slip. And you're going to return to the dust and it's all meaningless unless, unless there's something beyond. And then he summarizes it in verses 12 and 13 like this. Here's the conclusion of the matter. You fear God and you keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Now circle in your mind two words from this paragraph. The first is the word duty. This is your duty. The world doesn't like to hear about duty. The world likes to hear about if it feels good, do it. Follow your heart. Just do your own thing. But the Bible says you do your duty. One greater than Solomon said, this is love for God that we obey his commandments. You may never understand what your ultimate purpose is in life until you get to eternity and look back. So in the meantime, your, your purpose, you know what your purpose is? You do your duty every day. Whether you feel like it or whether you don't, you do what is right. You love God and keep his commandments and he will use you and you will fulfill your purpose. The other word I want you to circle is this word judgment. 
There's something beyond the grave. There's going to be a judgment. And for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, sins are going to be forgiven. We have the promise of eternal life. And we have the promise of an eternal reward for the good things that we have done. So life becomes meaningful if we focus not on this world but on eternity. Jesus said, uh, or Colossians 3.2 says, set your affections on the things above not on earthly things. The reason life becomes so futile and hopeless is because we've got to focus on this world. And the older we get, the more the world is slipping away. Our money isn't dependable. It's not fulfilling. Our body is wasting away. Our children are moving away. And friends are dying. But if there's an eternity, the secret of a meaningful life is you quit focusing so much on this world and you think about the things that are yet to be. The one greater than Solomon said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. So don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare one for you. And if I go and prepare one for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. I'm 73 years old. I think a lot more about heaven than I did when I was 23. I got more friends in heaven than I got on earth. I was in Dallas, Texas about six months ago, had my third blood clot, emergency room of the hospital. The ER doctor said, Mr. Russell, we've taken x-ray of your lungs and four of the fragments from those blood clots have broken off, lodged in your lung. If they'd have gone to your heart, you'd have been gone in 10 seconds. 10 seconds, not very long. That's how much time between you and me and eternity. But we have the day but we got this promise that there's an eternity. We've sung that song, do we really believe it? When we've been there, t what? 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I like the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, the fourth and fifth chapter. He said, therefore, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we waste away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And the next verse says, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we've got a building of God eternal in the heavens, not made by human hands. So regardless of where you are and what stage of life, life is still meaningful because the very best is yet to be. We had a wonderful woman in our church named Lee Tate. And uh, she, in her 80s, was one of the most joyous, radiant people I've ever seen. Here's a picture of her on the screen in her mid-80s. She had this joyful countenance and such an attractive countenance that the secular world will often use her to promote or market their products. She'd be on TV ads or billboards. And uh, her life wasn't always easy. Uh, 10 years before she died, her beloved husband, Dr. Bob Tate, died. She really missed him. Then she battled cancer, but she still stayed active. She was in the choir. She was on the greeters. She was on the prayer team. She was an encourager. When she died at age 89, her daughters gave me a letter that Lee Tate wrote to me before she died. I'm going to read it as I close. Just a paragraph. Dear Bob, 
when you receive this note of thanks, I will have arrived safely home to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the sweet prince he gave to me as my traveling companion through this earthly journey. But when you arrive, don't look for us at the gate because we'll have gone on downtown where the action is. <laughs> Bob may be playing drums in the marching band. Meanwhile, comfort my darling precious girls, Sarah and Robin, until we meet again in Christ Jesus, Lee. That's what I'm talking about. Every day is meaningful if you know the Lord Jesus Christ because the best is yet to be. Let's pray. Father, we remember Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Help us today, instead of accumulating wealth, to shift gears and be willing to give it away, knowing really we're laying up treasure in heaven. And instead of quitting work and indulging ourselves, help us to stay active in your service till the day we die. And instead of dreading tomorrow or living in the past or dreaming of tomorrow, help us live every day in the precious present. And instead of complaining about all the aches and pains of aging, help us to understand it's inevitable that we can still make the most of the day because we know that the best is yet to be. Lord, help us to fear God Keep his commandments. This is a duty of man. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.